Good morning, and thanks for tuning in to Grace Presbyterian. I'm Pastor Ryan. The subject matter for today's lesson is not a popular one in our culture today, but it is an essential component to the study of yielding our bodies to the Spirit to be used to honor God. I pray that as you follow along, this message today will be a starting point for you to renew your commitment to the Spirit's control as you pursue godliness and holiness in the love of Christ. Thanks for listening. It was last year about this time that I borrowed my dad's truck to go and pick some blueberries. Anyone enjoy blueberry picking? They were getting close to that time, right? Um, I happen to know that Segola Channing region is well-renowned for the harvest of blueberries it picks. Well, where I happened to be it was kind of a dusty road, and you had to drive down these tight little corners, and uh, I mean, it was a little bit off-roading, right? But that's how you get to the good ones, am I right? That's how you find the good ones. Well, recently, I have uh, bought my own new truck now, and I thought I'd go check out if there were blueberries, but now that it was my truck that I paid for, I didn't like the dusty road as much. I didn't like the off-road. I certainly didn't like the branches. Uh, now, be honest. Anyone ever have a rental car that you just kind of didn't care about as much? Anybody? This is church now, right? Yeah. yeah. And that's partly and mainly because uh, it's not yours, right? It's not yours. Uh, there, there's this level of protection. There's this level of expectation that comes with ownership. Uh, we see this perhaps most succinctly, and for our subject matter today, within the covenant of marriage. Uh, there was a time before my wife and I said, I do, where I had freedom to go and have dinner with other ladies. That was fine to have, uh, I feel like I'm digging a hole here again. <laughs> before we were married, right? But Im- imagine, imagine if... You saw your pastor today uh, with another woman, not his wife, hanging on his arm. Imagine you saw me coming out of a restaurant with another woman, not his wife. Uh, would you be offended? Would you, would you have a problem? I rightly so, and I hope that you would. Because uh, when something belongs to you, and that's what it means in marriage, is there is ownership between the husband and the wife. God's word says that your body is not your own anymore. To the wife, to the husband, your body is not your own anymore. To the man. Uh, that you now have been two to become one. There is a new identity. There's a new creature that exists. And there are expectations for what that should look like. Today we're going to kind of touch into this subject. Uh, for how our bodies, as we've been studying God's role in our lives, we are His temple. As we look to this particular issue now, of sexuality and of unity. And I know I kind of need to begin with this uh, caveat of saying this is not a popular message. I, I want to make sure you understand something. Uh, this is not uh, a message given to make anyone here feel bad. Right? This isn't a, a guilt message, nor is it a, a political stance message. Uh, if there's anything that we read in God's word that you hear from my lips this morning that you struggle with, understand it's God's word that you have to wrestle with. I often tell folks in Bible study, I don't care what you think, and you shouldn't care what I think. We need to submit ourselves to what God's Word teaches. And lastly, I want you to know that uh, this message this morning is only going to begin the subject. 
we will not have time to get into so much within sexuality that needs to be understood that comes from God's word concerning marriage, concerning celibacy, concerning divorce, concerning the range and the spectrum of how our contemporary culture expresses sexuality. We're not going to have time to get into any of that. We're only going to begin the subject this morning. And um, because I know that it tends not to be popular, this entire series tends not to be popular with the American church. Um, I was even telling my wife last night, I'm just, I'm struggling with this. But I have to let you know that um, I have a boss. As the pastor, there is somebody that I will uh, be held accountable to. And if I don't preach the full counsel of God's word to you, I'm not going to hear well done. And so you know something? I fear God more than I fear man. And so get ready for this this morning, church. It might sting a little. It might touch a sore spot. But we're going to get through it together. I'm entitling this message uh, in terms of your body, God's building, uh, Unity and Sexuality. And it's something that the church has got to address. Uh, We live in a culture that is sex-saturated. You can go back um, to the 1940s and hear testimonies from people. In fact, there's one author that I'm going to conclude with this morning. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, writes in his um, predominant book, Mere Christianity, concerning sexual morality, that the world that he lives in is rampant with a looseness on sexuality. That was in the 1940s when he was writing that. I am not sure he would even find adequate words to describe today what he would see. Where we see our our entertainment fully saturated with sexuality. Um, uh, Commercialism, even to the point of selling fast food, uh, is uh, used through uh, sexuality and marketing. Uh, We live in a sex-saturated world, and the church needs to address this. Uh, For some of us, this is something that we need. And maybe this is a message that God has provided just for you today. So I want to encourage you to do your best. Uh, Really follow along closely. What we're going to do is uh, look in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I invite you to turn there with me. Uh, There's five main points. I've got them as blanks for you in your sermon notes. And then we're going to end with uh, three simple applications for how we can obey God's word. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Page 1777. All right. We're going to start in verse 12 and work to the end of the chapter. I want you to know, too, some background here. Paul is writing to a church that has uh, uh, invited a lot of corruption into it. Uh, The church at Corinth uh, found a solid foundation uh, with the teachings of the Apostle Paul. But after he left, he began to hear these things that were going on. Uh, things with confusion in terms of when they met together, there was disorder. Uh, they had a lot of confusion over food, which foods you should eat. Uh, and then they had a lot of problems in regard to sexuality. Uh, one of the main things that he's going to write in the chapter previous to the one we look at is where there is, there's this dude in church who is sleeping with his father's wife, so his stepmother. And the church looks upon it and gives their approval. Now, you might be shocked at that, but just take a moment and think through what our culture today gives approval for within sexuality. I don't care what you think. You shouldn't care what I think. What does God's word say on this subject? Everybody ready? 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything... Food 
for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. But for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said that two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. This entire series is one that is addressing uh, the bodies that we have. And I was speaking to a church member yesterday, uh, just kind of uh, feeling kind of the weight of where we've been. And, And we looked at starting off two weeks ago as using the members of our body, not uh, as instruments for sin, uh, but as instruments for righteousness. Do you remember Heather? She came and she sang and she used uh, the body that God gave her, the talents that she had uh, to honor God. Right? That was the first place we looked at. Uh, last week, we addressed this topic of diet and exercise um, because it's so much easier to just order a pizza or stop at the fast food restaurant. Right? But you know what? God lives here. And we look to understand that if you pursue food or nutrition, it ain't going to work. Instead, what did I challenge you to pursue? Does anyone remember? Godliness, right? Pursue godliness in your diet and exercise. Let that be the guide, the arrow that points you on how you should live, what you should eat, how you should exercise. Uh, Today, we have to, and, and you can't get around it, folks. You just can't get around this verse. In 1 Corinthians, Paul wants you to understand that in the subject of your body, sexuality is right at the very top. So the first thing that I want you to see here as we're um, addressing this is that you are one with God. All right, that's it. First off, to begin with, you are one with God. He makes this illustration of um, a Christian uniting themselves with a prostitute because in some of the uh, religious influence around Corinth, they had prostitution as part of their worship service. And see, the church did not separate itself from the world. Instead, it looked at what the world accepted and it said, hey, we'll accept that too. We read it in Genesis, right? We, we read the story of, of, of the first man and the first woman and the first marriage where God brings Eve to Adam, presents her to him. And his declaration that she has come from me, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, I will call her woman for she's come out of man. It's the picture of what it looks like back within marriage. That your marriage is a little snapshot of the Garden of Eden where two become one. 
And yet there is another miracle that happens within the heart of the believer, which is that not only in marriage are you united to becoming one, but when you come to know the Lord, he comes and lives within you such that you are now one with God. Look with me in your Bible to verse 17. But he who unites himself with the Lord is what? Is one with him in spirit. When I went to college, the first roommate that I had, and if you've ever had a roommate, you know you have to live with them, right? Uh, There's one room and two people. Two people sharing one room. First day, this guy takes the two beds that were nice separate with two desks, and when I'm gone, he stacks them, so they're bunk beds now, and he stacks the desks as well. And I, I walk in and I'm kind of, I kind of liked it the way it was when I first moved in. He's like, hey man, you like what I do at the place? You like it? Look, and he was, he was like a, he was like a jock. Loved exercise and lifting weights. He was like, look at all this room we've got now for push-ups and sit-ups. And I was, do you like it? And I'm like, yeah, thinking no. I got to live with them though. I got to live with them. How, how about your, uh, your house, your husband and wife? Anyone ever have a little differences of having to live with one another? Hopefully you're not stacking desks upon uh, one another. There's got to be a level of uh, mutual submission that happens. Because two are now one. And this is the way it is with us and God as well. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, He comes to live within you. And you're no longer yourself. You no longer belong to yourself. You are now united with Him. And where there was maybe something that you liked and enjoyed doing your own way, guess what? God walks into the room and He says, What are you doing? Why does it look like this? This isn't what this is supposed to look like. First thing I want you to see is that you are one with God. Now, this second point is really kind of the primary one through this text. It's a command that Paul gives in verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. We must flee sexual immorality. I, I want to look at just a couple of words here. Uh, the first is this word flee. The uh, word itself means to uh, seek safety, uh, to avoid, to escape, to run away. There's a story in Genesis chapter 39 of Joseph after he's uh, sold into slavery. He is purchased by a man named Potiphar. Uh, Potiphar recognizes the potential he sees in Joseph and he raises Joseph up to the point of being in charge of everything that he has. Uh, He has a share and a stock in all of Potiphar's belongings except for his wife. And this wife is a She's a case, folks. Um, I'm going to just paraphrase the story for you, but I encourage you to go and read this passage in Genesis 39 sometime. Because what she does is she's looking at this young, pretty-looking Joseph, all strapping and brawny, and she says, come sleep with me. Can you imagine the brazenness of this, this lady? Come sleep with me. Joseph says, I would never, for how could I do this wicked thing and sin against... Now, he doesn't say Potiphar. He doesn't say his body. He says sin against God. Recognizing that God is the one who's in charge of his body. Now she doesn't take no for an answer. She continues to pursue this kid. Eventually to the point where she grabs him. Like right here. Just come on. Let's do this thing. No one's here. We're all alone. Now imagine you were in that situation. Where nobody else would know. 
And this traipsy broad is working you down and wearing you down and wearing you down. And maybe you start entertaining the thought, you know, well, you know, she's pretty. What would you do? You know what Joseph does in that moment? Because this is where we pick up this command from verse 18. He slithers out of his jacket and he bolts out the door. This word, flee. He flees for his life. He doesn't even go back for anything. And she's left there with with his coat and then concocts this crazy false story about he was forcing himself on me and he's trying to... And Joseph gets thrown out again. Back into prison again. You might look at that story and think, well, it could have worked out a lot better for Joseph if he just went on with the deal, right? But instead, he understood he's one with God. God controls and owns his body. And when it comes to sexual temptation, you got to do the same thing Joseph did, which is run. Run like your life depended on it. We've been in this 40 days, right, of healthy living. And so one thing I've been doing is I've been trying to run more, right? And uh, last night, I tried to run up uh, Pine Mountain, which if you ever try to do that, is a, I end up walking, folks, quite a bit as I'm running up that mountain. But I got to the top, and last night in particular, I don't know about up here in Segola, but down in Iron Mountain, uh, you started to hear some thunder. You started to hear a little bit of lightning. Folks, I can tell you how to flee. I can tell you. Because I ran down that mountain. Yeah, that really helps your, your split time, too, if you've got lightning chasing you off the mountain. Now, why? Why? Because you know what? It could, it could kill me. It, it's a threat to my life. If you don't see sexual temptation in that same manner, you've been believing a lie. You're missing it. You're missing the point. Because you're not commanded anywhere else to flee from anything that would just, oh, it's no big deal. You're commanded to flee from something that would cost you your life. It will destroy you. And this has to get preached hard because we live in a culture that's completely clueless. We've all been brainwashed. You've been brainwashed. You've you've had this happen to you without your uh, being aware of it because it's everywhere in your life. I remember hearing a preacher once down in the city say that there was this big billboard that was advertising selling something. And of course, they got some uh, buxom lady up on there. And he said every time he drove by, that picture would put a little seed in his mind. Something that he'd have to wrestle with now the rest of his day. Sexual temptation, something that he didn't plan on. But there, it showed up. You know what he decided to do? He decided to drive 10 minutes out of his way just to avoid that. Because the command is to flee. Now, the command is to flee something specific. It's sexual immorality. Here's the problem with this. Is that because you and I have grown up in this world, this world become, this word here becomes defined how you would like to define it. How culture would like to define it. I want to submit to you this morning, it should be defined how God's word defines it. So I'm just going to simply give you the definition. The word for sexual immorality is the Greek word pornea. I'll let you figure out what English word we get from that. Pornea. Here's what the word means simply. Illicit sexual intercourse. That's it. Then they give you some examples. Adultery, fornication, homosexuality, lesbianism, intercourse with animals. So, the, the, the wrong act. Secondly, sexual intercourse with close relatives. You might think of a perversion now at this point, like incest. 
And then thirdly, sexual intercourse with a divorced man or woman because God's word is very clear on this. In fact, Jesus, if you want more instruction, read Matthew 10 on this and listen to what Jesus has to say concerning how sex looks uh, with those who have been divorced. And there's a reason why. Again, i got to warn you, we don't have time to get into everything. But marriage plays a crucial role, a central role, a single role in identifying sexuality. Look, if you're struggling with this, and that's fine, you're struggling with God's word. Allow the word of God to hold authority over maybe your experience, maybe your past decisions, maybe the presentness of how you allow things to go on in your life. Don't let sexual immorality be defined by our culture. Let it be defined by the words that the Holy Spirit uses to define it for us. It's such a common problem. You know what? I am uh, willing to say uh, that everyone is guilty of sexual immorality. Um, Jesus uses an example of adultery when he's going to confront the crowd in the Sermon on the Mount uh, concerning their adherence to the law. He'll say, you've heard that it is said, thou shalt not commit adultery. right?" And by and large, everybody's pretty good with that. But he will say, but I say to you, any man that looks at a woman lustfully is guilty So, fellas, do this. Come on, fellas, raise your hand here, because 100% are guilty. If you're breathing, you're going to struggle. And ladies, I think that it exists there too. Now, I'm not making this up. This is something that I'm recognizing as coming from God's Word. Because when you look at a list of sins, are are, are there a bunch of sins you could commit, right? Theft, lying, um, help me out Murder, thank you. Yeah, there's a whole lot of things that you could do. That in these lists, I want you to see what shows up first. So uh, I, just, I just looked them up. Matthew 7 is the first one. Jesus, uh, what's the first one he has here? From within a person, his heart come evil thoughts. What's the first one? Sexual morality. Number one, top of the list. Uh, let's look at the next one. This is Romans 13. Uh, let us behave decency as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in... Sexual immorality. There it is, right at the very top of the list. Uh, next one comes in 1 Corinthians 6. Or don't you, uh, don't you know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. And now he's going to give you the list. What's the first one? Sexual immorality. Galatians 5. This one is the main one in your Bible. That lists all the wrong things that you can do. The acts of the flesh are obvious. And what's the first one? Sexual immorality, Ephesians chapter 5. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. And then listing all these other uh, sins. Finally, uh, Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. What's the first thing Paul's going to recognize belongs to your earthly nature? So either you're guilty of this or you're going to be. It's at the top of the list. I do want to make one point to recognize that does not mean that sexual purity is the centerpiece of maturity. Did did you catch that? Sexual purity is not the centerpiece of Christian maturity. It's just the problem that's most prevalent. It's just the one that shows up first. You might even see here in Colossians, uh, what else is included? Impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. 
Well, I guarantee if you're not uh, guilty of sexual morality, you're guilty of greed because you live in America at some point, right? So you've got what we tend to claim as, you know, little sins like greed. That's just a little one. It's, it's listed in here with the big ones too. Don't think that this is the main one. I just want you to see how so very prevalent it is such that the Apostle Paul and Jesus and the writers of the New Testament, they don't leave it at the bottom because they know everyone at some point struggles with this. It goes right at the very top. Therefore, what's the command? You must flee sexual immorality. You've got to get away from it. Don't let it have any place in your home. Don't let it have any place in your heart. Don't define it by what you think it is. Define it by how God defines it. All right, thirdly is this. Uh, when you sin against your own body, it's, uh, sexual sin is sinning against your own body. So you sin not against others, not against uh, your neighbor, you, uh, not against those living out in society. You're sinning against your own body when you sin sexually. There is a perversion that begins to happen within the minds of people who allow this to happen. A kind of reprogramming such that you begin objectifying men and women. Uh, you misconstrue desires that are God-given. You get really good at rationalizing all that's going on in your mind. Because when you persist in sexual immorality, it warps you up here. It changes how you think. You're sinning against your own body. You're like that dumb fourth grader that people pick on and say, quit hitting yourself, quit hitting yourself. You remember, did anyone get that right? Quit hitting yourself. That's what, that's what sexual sin is like. Quit hitting yourself. It's worse than this though. It's, it's worse because what it does is truly change the chemistry even in your mind of how you function. And Jesus came into this world to declare a whole new kind of human being. A human that can live in accordance with God's love. Sexual integrity is our response to God's love. And that's what Jesus came to show us. This is what Paul is picking up on here. I wonder if I could ask you the question, um, is fire uh, good or bad? Fire good or bad? Both, yeah. So... Often in scripture, uh, sexuality is compared to uh, like fire or a flame or burning coals. And there's a place with which uh, it is uh, life-giving, which is actually its purpose, right? Uh, that's what happens with sex is it produces something brand new. It takes 23 chromosomes from one, 23 from the other, makes something brand new. Uh, and much like fire, uh, it, it burns hot. Um, it can give uh, a good purpose for why it exists, but uh, if it's not found in the right container, if it's not found in the right area, it can produce harm. It can produce pain. And I doubt that there is any pain among humans that's far more scarring than sexual pain from poor decisions, consequences that have happened in the past. The place where sex was intended to be seen is with the, within the confines of the covenant of marriage, where it's safe, where it's protected, where it can give life and fulfill the purpose for which God intended it. 
There are some people who, who think, oh, sex is bad, sex is wrong. And I, I even remember as I was really coming uh, to know the Lord, recognizing uh, growing up this, this tension, this dissonance between the culture, uh, even my own desires, and recognizing what God's word says, where uh, chastity seems to be the hardest of any of the commands of God. I asked my dad, uh, we didn't have too many questions about the birds and the bees, right? Guys tend not to. You need to do a better job at that. I'm just going to tell guys. Uh, but I remember one time uh, just showing some frustration. Like, why is it so hard? That's what I said. Why is it so hard? Why can't people just control themselves? And uh, my dad had a comment that I just thought was really profound. He says, well, it's what people do. It's what people do. I had to think about that for a while. And it's right. God made men and women for one another. Sex is made to be a good thing, a beautiful thing, something that God called good in the garden, but it has to be found in the right setting. And like any fire that burns without uh, the protection around it, it has the ability to do scarring, to do damage, to do harm. When you sin against, or you sin against your own body when you sin sexually. Uh, I want to make sure that you recognize this is not from me. This comes directly from verse 18. He says, All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. All right, fourthly is this. As we have uh, been learning and singing, uh, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Probably the clearest passage of this here in verse 19. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, We need to make sure that we're understanding the imagery here, this imagery of a temple. What was the temple in the Old Testament? If you you can think of it, or remember your Sunday school days, it was the place where God dwelt. And as you were to approach the temple, you did so not flippantly. God wanted to say to you, you did so with a lot of purification. There were rituals. You had to have holiness. You had to have reverence. You had to have righteousness. And if you didn't, you risked being struck down at the temple for the presence of God seen in the most holy place is so pure and holy that it would destroy you. That's the word temple. That's the word Paul uses right here to speak of your body. Did you, did you catch it when Lois read for us the, the reading in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? <laughs> This is God's will for you, your sanctification. Ever wonder what God's will is? I remember when I was young thinking, boy, what's God's will for my life? It's right there. God's will in your life is your sanctification. That simply means you're being made holy. That's his plan in your life, to make you holy. And immediately Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that you should avoid sexual immorality and that each one should learn to control his body. Your body's a temple. It's where the Holy Spirit lives. I'm thankful for this series we've been in because I need this reminder. I need to be reminded again that my body is not my own. What I put into it, whatever desires uh, uh, run in and through it, they must fall under the control of the Holy Spirit that lives in here. Like a roommate that you've got, the two have got to submit and work together. 
All right, lastly is this, and I also think this is perhaps one of the most important ones. You are valuable to God. I can't emphasize this one enough, church. You are valuable to God. I honestly believe that this is the single greatest problem in how our world today expresses impropriety in sexuality. Because you don't value what you have. You don't value your bodies. I think that there are many young women today that are being shown examples on cable TV, on network TV, on magazine stands, and on the internet that this is what it means to be beautiful. And it's left singularly on the shell of the outside. My son asked me, and, and he, he's growing up, right? Nine years old. He's starting to see these things. Dad, why do girls dress like that sometimes? And I'm reminded of the words in the book of First Peter where he says, uh, Women, you need to adorn yourselves, not with pearls and fancy braided hair, but instead inner beauty. And the beauty that comes from a woman who submits herself to God because you are valuable. Look with me again here at the text in 1 Corinthians. He says, you are not your own. Does your Bible have that right before verse 20? End of verse 19. You are not your own. You're not free to just do whatever you want with your body. You're not your own. You were bought at a price. You were bought with. You were paid for. Jesus Christ saw you on the shelf and he said, I want that one. I want you. So much so, and get this, that he was willing to give up his only son for you. That's how valuable you are to God. I think if this becomes something that we start to ingrain within our children, that we ourselves preach to ourselves, that you know what? You know why I need to avoid? You know why I need to flee? Is because God loves me so much. I'm this valuable to him. That the costly death of his son, Jesus Christ, was that which was paid so that now you belong to him. There, there's a passage in the Gospels where they ask Jesus, hey, should we pay taxes? And Jesus says, get a coin. So they get a coin. He says, whose inscription is on there? Whose name is on the coin? And they say, Caesar. And what's Jesus' response? All right, well, it belongs to him then. So give to Caesar what Caesar's and give to God what belongs to God. If you have a tag on your heart, like you find in a storefront that shows the price, guess whose name is on that tag? You belong to Jesus Christ. His name is graven on your heart. Therefore, give to God what belongs to God. Which is what I want us to look at here as we try to apply this into our lives. Number one, you've got to find where God would teach you this. You need to honor God. This is the very end of the passage we'd looked at, right? You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your body. And I simply phrase it this way. Give to God that which is God's. If you belong to Him, give all that you are to Him. Including the habits or the thoughts of your mind. Including what may have ever happened to you in your past. Honor Him with your body. Second is this. Pretty simple, right? Flee <coughs> temptation. <coughs> Flee from it. 
I was mowing the yard yesterday, and uh, summertime is a time where uh, hornets and bees show up. Um, anybody else like me, if you see a hornet bee, go to your home. I mean, you are, and you're doing, doing one of those, right? Uh, I was doing that yesterday. Now, why would I do that? Why? Because the hornet, the, the wasp, the bee has the potential to do what? To harm me, right? To do me harm. I, I don't find some bees flying around me and like, oh, this is no problem. I'm ah, sitting here ah. as I'm as I'm doing damage to my body. I flee. It's as simple as that. When you see temptation, you have to flee. There was one time when I was early in my ministry ser- serving as a missionary. This is before Emily and I were married. Uh, there was this one girl on, a, on one of the teams that came down. And she kept sitting real close to me, like, like too close. And I was about 19 years old. And um, she started to make some of these advances. I'm not sure how she ended up on this mission trip, honestly, now that I'm thinking of it. Um, <laughs> I, I used to, my habit when I was on the mission field is I would try to get up before anybody else and I would go and have my devotions at sunrise because that's awesome. If you've ever done that, you know how awesome it is. And if you've never done it, you need to try it because uh, reading your Bible and worshiping God when the sun is rising is awesome, right? Well, she caught wind that I was doing this and I, I got up one morning and I got my Bible and then this tramp comes <laughs> because she was still wearing her jammies and... I'm having to divert my eyes here. And she's like, can I go do devotions with you? And I remember in that moment just feeling like uh, I'm, I'm, there's a threat. I just felt threatened. And I said, uh, sure, but I see you don't have your Bible. How about you run back and get your Bible and meet, meet me down um, by the water? And I'm watching for her leave to go in her room. And then I'm gone. And I went, <laughs> I went completely the other direction down the road. I was nowhere near the water. And in fact, I waited longer than I needed to to even go back down. She said, where were you? And I said, oh, you, oh, okay. Yeah. Just got, you know, played it off. But you know what? I believe the trajectory of my life, in fact, my ministry could look very different if in that moment thing has happened differently. You got to identify things in your life that are threats. Identify the places in your life where sexual temptation is an invitation into your home. I'll tell you right now, the television is one. The internet is one. The smartphone is one. Some of you need to get dumb phones, not smartphones. <laughs> maybe, that's a, uh, maybe that's a relationship. Maybe that's a, a, a texting relationship. What, whatever that is, you've got to identify the places in your life where there is still an opening for sexual temptation to come in. And then you've got to run. You've got to flee from it. It will destroy you. All right. Lastly is this. And I think this is perhaps the most important one of all. Don't quit. Don't quit. Or ever give up fighting. If you fall. If you fail. You pick yourself up again. And you try again. Because you are already forgiven. There there is no work that needs to be accomplished by men on earth or women on earth to please God. He's fully pleased with you. He accepts you unconditionally. Therefore, look, if you fall, if you mess up, get up again and keep trying. I want to share with you uh, how C.S. Lewis renders this at the very end of his chapter here on sexual morality. Listen to his words. He says, after each failure, ask for forgiveness. Pick yourself up and try again. 
Very often, what God first helps us towards is not the virtue itself, but just this power of always trying again. For whatever important chastity may be, this process trains us in the habits of the soul, which are far more important still. It cures our illustrations about ourselves, and it teaches us to depend on God. We learn, on the one hand, that we cannot trust ourselves, even in our best moments. And on the other hand, that we need not despair, even in our worst. For our failures are forgiven. The only fatal thing is to sit down content with anything less than perfection. Don't quit. You keep trying and you keep striving. Accountability is probably the the best thing that any individual can have when it comes to um, sexual integrity. And I want you to see now, I'm going to show you uh, just a video as we we conclude. um, As what I believe is the very apt reminder as to why this is the calling upon the Christian. It's not because you can please God. It's because God so dearly loves you. I invite you to watch this as we finish. Some of you have been wounded in the past. You need to hear it. God loves you for you. And sexual integrity the surrendering of all that we are in our desires to follow after his plan is accomplished because of his love. Let's pray together.